Hello to everybody who was not feeling Valentine's Day. It's beautiful, Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. I know not everybody loves a long intro, so I'll let you know that if that's you, I get it. I would encourage you to maybe think about checking out BeautifulAnonymous.com if you want to see our bonus content and what we have to offer. But if you want to just skip to the phone call, the intro today is about seven, eight minutes, I think. If you hop around somewhere around then, you should get right to the phone call. Enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. I am so thrilled to see that everybody enjoyed the lady who helped run the kite store. That was one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. You tell me that I get to talk to somebody who helps run a kite store. I say, what did I do right in life that that gets to be one of my jobs? Because I, of course, have like four full-time jobs anyway. It's not about me. I love that call. Thanks to everybody for supporting, for listening. Thanks to everybody in Vancouver who came out to the Biltmore Cabaret. It was so lovely to see people there. And hey, if you're thinking about live shows and you want to come check me out, March 1st, Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, you've always had my back. I'm asking you, come on out again. We're doing our second ever Laughing Together show. This is a benefit show where the money will go towards services for mental health in schools. Simple as that. And I work for the organization that it benefits, so I personally can vouch for them that this is not. They don't just hoover up money and then you're not sure where it goes. Like They are active. They make things happen. It goes towards helping kids. The show is going to be great. Kenise Mobley, Kate Nichols, Joyelle Nicole Johnson, who is so good, just put out a special on Peacock last year. And then, of course, Joe Perra, who you know from his Adult Swim show. This is an amazing lineup. It's for a good cause. Littlefield, March 1st. Get tickets at chrisgeth.com. And Brooklyn, thank you for always having my back. We also have a beautiful anonymous live taping, the only one on the schedule thus far. March 23rd, it'll be in Boise, Idaho at the Egyptian Theater as part of the Tree Fort Music Festival. I'm glad that I'm recording this now because I also realized that I have to figure out Andrea and I's transportation on that. So I'm glad I'm saying that out loud. Thanks to everybody who has signed up at BeautifulAnonymous.com for Beautiful Anonymous Plus. Remember, uh, you get extra about extra 20, 25 minutes per an episode at the lower tier, at the upper tier. You also get a monthly uh, catch-up with a past caller as well as a monthly taping where the only people that get that phone number are the people signed up at that tier. You can also sign up if you have disposable income and pay what you want. And if you buy on an annual basis, there's a huge discount. It's super, super nice of you. As of this recording, we are up to 641 subscribers. Thank you to the 641 people who've gotten on board, which is nothing to sneeze at. But I will remind you, if I get to 2500 in the first year, my family will have a very substantial financial bonus, uh, which I'm hoping we can get to, but I'm not hopeful because we're very far away. So I'm not going to beg for it too hard, but whatever. You guys get it. You got what I'm saying. You want to help me out? Go to beautifulanonymous.com. Help me out. Help the show out. 
blah, blah, blah. I'm hoping everybody feels good. I don't feel like I have too much on my mind. I don't want to belabor the point. I've been traveling too much lately. I've been trying to slow that down, as a lot of you know, and as I've mentioned, but it's not always easy. But luckily, a lot of my traveling right now is also for the Laughing Together stuff. I'm telling you, I have been out teaching workshops in schools, figuring out how to use comedy to help teach teachers, to help teach students, to help bring more levity into school environments, and to use comedy to foster self-expression and confidence and help the introverted kids, help the unfocused kids. And it's been so cool. And if you want to know more about that, laughingtogether.org is my day job. And I'm a little obsessed with it. I'm really loving it. I'm like turning down acting auditions to do this instead. And I'm feeling okay about that. And if you happen to be like a billionaire who works in philanthropy and wants to fund something with a good heart that's getting off the ground and it's going to have a lot of positive effect, reach out to me because I would happily accept your money to fund more Laughing Together stuff anyway. Anyway, what can we do? I took my son and his friend to the comic book store this week. They lost their minds. His friend Killian had never been to a comic book store. And trying to get two four-year-olds to focus up in a comic book store was like trying to get two... I don't even know the analogy. It's like trying to get... Two, two like puppies to just stay still for a second. It was so cool. They ran around looking at everything. I want that. I want that. I want that. I want that. And it felt good. It felt good to bring my son something that I've always loved and to introduce his friend to something that I always loved. Kid had never been to a comic book store. He'd never read a comic book. Now he has because of me. Feels good to spread the little things you love to the people in your life that you have love for. Okay, I'll stop being sentimental. I'm not really saying much of anything. Part of it is because I am a little nervous. I do have to tell you, this call is a really great one. It also takes a turn I never saw coming. I think the caller indicates and and would probably tell you now, wasn't sure how deep into it he was planning on going, but there is talk of abuse specifically sexual abuse of young people, never easy, never easy to talk about, never easy to even think about the existence of. This caller, unfortunately, has lived it, and it does come up about halfway through the call. I don't love doing spoilers, but that is one that feels like I need to give a massive heads up because if that has affected you or your life, obviously you should know about that. Heading into it, you'll hear that we recorded this episode on Valentine's Day. And if you are somebody who is not a fan of Valentine's Day, you will be a fan of this call. The caller and I start out talking about loneliness and how that holiday can rub it in your face and how as you get older, you start to set certain benchmarks. And even if they're artificial and we've opted into them arbitrarily that you feel the pressure of them, And how this loneliness thing sucks. And then it takes a turn where we start to really get to the source of some of this stuff. And as I said, it gets pretty serious pretty fast, but also gives you a look at how 
trauma doesn't just go away. And I think there's actually a lot of really valid discussion about how modern times are not built for people who need time. Things are driven by algorithms now. Things are gamified. Things are performative. We talk about all these aspects of it in a way that's just really two people shooting the breeze. But where I think, oh, there's, I think there's actually a lot. I bet there are so many people, no matter where they come from or what their past experience is, that feel like all of this is depersonalized and fast-paced in a way that's not great, let alone if you're someone where that feels unsafe. So this call has a lot to it. First half, sort of leaning on each other, some camaraderie. Second half gets pretty serious. So buckle up for that. Most of all, remember that everybody has not just a story, but more stories than you can imagine. And this call, like many others in the past of this show, is proof of that. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Be patient. Summon kindness as often as you can. And I think it'll make all of us a little bit more okay. Enjoy the call, everybody. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, how's it going? It's okay. Having a little bit of a crazy day, but that's all right. How are you? Um, I'm okay. Just uh, I'm working from home today, so I'm uh, on my extended lunch break now. That's always nice. That's always nice. So yeah. you don't work from home always? No, just a couple times a week. And do you prefer it or do you like the office? Where Where are people's heads at with this work from home right now? I like it in theory, um, but it's a little like isolating. I don't always love my coworkers either. So I don't know. It's a mixed bag of feelings. Depends on the day, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Well, I'm glad we've covered that. <laughs> um, what else? What else would we like to jump into today? Where are we at? Where are things? I'm, yeah, I'm feeling a little. I'm feeling a little skittish myself. So I'm thinking we just jump yeah, into something. I don't know. Just uh, thinking about. I mean, it's Valentine's Day, so it is. We are recording with... this on Valentine's Day. That's true. Yeah, dealing with all the baggage and emotions that come with this day as you're trying to just live your life and you're bombarded with social media posts and ads and things and all the things to remind you about being single. Um, and so I feel like I'm dealing with today. I like, I gotta say, I like, uh, I like that we're being honest about that and real yeah. about that. Cause it's an invented holiday that creates an, a, a lot of stress and there's some beautiful things about it, but it is not always easy. It does create a lot of stress. Um, I also just, I think like, I don't know. I think I thought that by this point in my life, I wouldn't be feeling these same feelings. Um, and uh, I still am, which I think is frustrating. Um, also, like I wish it didn't affect me, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not immune to it. I think I'm better at it, like the jealousy stuff, but it's still there. 
And how does the jealousy stuff show up? I don't like, I mean, I think it used to be a lot of like anger and frustration and now it's just like kind of eye rolly, like, uh, whatever. Um, I feel like I could do probably a better job at like supporting my friends who are in relationships. I don't know. It's like complicated. I also think like I'm a, I am a queer person. So I think sometimes like, it's easy to be like, oh, well, like everything with this holiday and stuff is just so, so like heterosexualized. But then when I see queer people also celebrating and in love and happy, it's like, okay, well, they have it. So like, why not me? Um, it gets into a lot of like, what, like the what's wrong with me stuff. Um, and I think that's like where the, the spiral goes. Um, yeah, obviously love seeing queer people happy. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> it's a little bit like, why why not me too at this point in my life? And when you sit and ponder these things, it's not always easy. And also I know that when you get into a headspace where something like Valentine's Day can make it more of a negative lens than on other days, what do you think the answers are when you sit there and go, why am I not having this, this Valentine's day snapshot that I'm seeing other people put up on Instagram? Why don't I get that screen grab? What do you, th- what do you think the answer is? Oh man. Uh, you want to go there? You want to go into all of my, my flaws and all, all that stuff. Um, it's real. it's up to you. I don't, <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about a lot. I turned, I turned 30 this year, which is another just like arbitrary thing of like, okay, it's, it's, it's like a number, but um, I don't know. I think my, I talked to like my friends and my therapist about it. Um, I think some of it's me and some of it's like the world at large. Um, I think I have like high expectations um and high standards i guess for people um and i just haven't found anyone that really meets that i don't know i mean i like someone actually asked me recently like have you ever been in love before at all um and i don't know like i guess you can answer that like what even is love i mean like i'm not even really sure how you define that but like i think i have been once in college and that dude like broke my heart. So I don't, I haven't felt anything like that since, which is why I say like, that's love. Um, but I don't know. Like I, I think I'm putting myself out there, but people say I should put myself out there more. I think I am. Um, there's also like the standards of beauty. I don't know. I think it's hard to, hard to pinpoint exactly, but I also feel like I have a lot to offer. <laughs> it's hard to like be confident in yourself, but also like examine like, okay, why am I this way? Um, I, but I have been thinking about that a lot as I approach 30, which is like, not like anything's going to magically happen when I turn 30. Um, it's not like my life ends or anything, but um, I'm at the age where all my friends are, most of my friends are having children and are married. And it's like, Jesus, when did we get to that point? You know? Um, and my life is so different than that, which I think is cool and fine, but 
uh, the movies don't show single people. They show love all the time, you know? So it's like we're just forced to have that stuff from a very early age. I get it. I get it. I also will say everything you're saying, I hear you. I remember my versions of that. I remember the harshness of it, but I'll also say when you keep phrasing things as far as like, what's wrong with me? Why don't I get that? I'm like, that is a thing that's totally understandable that everybody puts themselves through. But also I would encourage you to just take it easy on yourself a little bit. Um, Yeah. Because that, that will only amplify the sting, right? If, if you, yeah, if you're harsh on yourself like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but ease, how do you push through that? Down. Like, how do you? Oh yeah, yeah. How do you like not? Because then it's like it has to, like it's a little bit you, and it's a little bit other people. But if it's a little bit you, like, how do you just examine that without being critical? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. It's a really great point. It's a really great point. Yeah. Can I ask? I mean, how personal do we want to get? Let's do it, man. We're here. Let's do it. Can I ask? So, because you're in your twenties, yeah. This is a fun stretch of life where a lot of people, mm-hmm. and I, I get it. I mean, you're you're thinking about. <coughs> excuse me. Pardon the sneeze, everybody. <laughs> we may even edit that one out. Oh, now we got it. Now we got a nice laugh out of it. Maybe we'll leave it in. Who knows? Yeah. But. I didn't know what sound it was. I didn't. It didn't really sound like yeah. a sneeze, to be honest. It was I a was hard, like, hardcore sneeze, oh, and there might be another one or two on the way. Yeah. Now, no worries. <laughs> you're in your late twenties. I won't lie. Yeah. I'm in my forties. A lot of people look back mm-hmm. to that late twenties, early thirties thing and go, "Man, that was fun when I was single." A lot of people mm-hmm. look back with rose-colored glasses and romanticize. Being single is often really lonely and miserable, and puts you in your head. But a lot of us look back. So I do want to see how do you compartmentalize looking for love, these long-term questions, people settling down, people who you grew up with starting to have kids, starting to get married, all those things. Are you still having fun in your 20s at all? Can you still have fun dating? Can you still have a fun sex life? Or are the love issues starting to be a wet blanket on all of that? That's a great question. I think, I mean, I am having fun. I think, I think I could be having more fun too. I think maybe that's like, I think I'm a little bit stuck in a rut of like, I'm not doing the love thing and I'm also not having as much fun as I could be. Um, I was having fun in college and then after college and then like the whole COVID thing happened. And then that was like obviously forced isolation. And I don't know. Um, I, I don't even necessarily think there's like there's anything wrong with me being single all the time. Like I don't mind it a lot. Um, and I, I don't even know necessarily what like monogamy would look like for me. Cause I've always been, I've always been single besides this like weird college relationship, not relationship I had. I think situationship is what people call it these days, but um, I've always been single and I've always been like very sexually interested in multiple people. So I don't, I don't even know what that would look like for me. Um, yeah, maybe the answer is, like, I should probably just, like, if I'm not doing the love thing and I'm not finding that, maybe I should have more fun. 
I think I should. I know I should actually. And I'm not. I'm not really sure what's holding me back. I guess fear. I don't know. The queer community is also very like complicated when it comes to sex and all that shit. So that's where my head's at, maybe. Of course. I also can't help but note, and I'd like your opinion. So you're about to turn 30. So you're 28, 29, it sounds like. Yeah. (laughs) This also strikes me that. So, for example, I got engaged and it was like six months later that apps started to become the standard. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. in my age group and the years surrounding it, it was like, oh, we we remember old school dating and now we're opting into the app thing. You're probably around the age group where apps were the standard as your dating life ramped up. Yeah, it's true. How do you think that affects your relationship with dating, with sex, with love? I mean, I think I can only speak for like my experience and... So this isn't like the queer experience on a whole, but in particular, like if you go on an app like Grinder, like you can just basically like find sex whenever you want. Um, there's likely going to be someone who's interested in your type of person and you can meet up somewhere and just do it. And I've done that as a lot of my like queer friends have. And like that sort of like, for lack of a better term, like sex on demand, which is the only thing I can think of right now is like, has I think really like fucked up like our idea of relationships and love and all this stuff. Cause it's like, how do you meet somebody? And even like the frustrating thing for me is like, I go on apps that are not, are not grinder dating ones like Tinder and hinge and all these things. And still on those apps, people will be like, well, you want to come out sex? And it's like, I thought we were on these apps or something different. Um, and not everyone is like that, obviously, but a lot of people are. So I feel like you can't escape that either. Of like, where is the line between like just looking to hook up and or looking for a relationship? Um, and that has been complicated. Which I feel like if you're meeting someone out in, in like real life, you can also have those conversations, but it just feels different. So you're not like hiding behind a screen or just sending like a picture, <laughs> being like, "Do you want to have sex?" And it, I don't know. It just it is different. Um, it is different for sure. Yeah. And I also like, I even have some friends who've been in relationships for so long who are my age who are like, I never had to use Tinder or anything. And it's like very <laughs> frustrating to be like, you don't understand. It's fucking sucks. And it's also like the only thing you can really do sometimes. Um, yeah. I don't know. I guess I am envious of people who just like met their partner out in the world. Um, I'm out in the world too. I haven't met anybody. Um, I don't know. How did you meet your partner? Can I ask that? Am I allowed to ask that? Hallie was in a band called the unlovables that I really liked and Mm -hmm. the punk rock scene and the alt comedy scene in New York had some Venn diagram crossovers. So she had seen me in a couple shows over the years. And then I had a public access TV show and our band leader, um, had gotten a job in Canada, so he had to leave. So I had a backing band with no songwriter or vocalist, and they were all friends with Hallie, and they asked her to come on. Mm -hmm. And I was very intimidated because I was a fan of hers. But then eventually, through the magic of public access television, we got together. (laughs) So, you know, totally standard in-person love story. Totally standard in-person meeting. Yeah, totally normal. I mean, that's really cool. I love, I mean, I love that, but... 
haven't had anything like that. I can't say. So yeah, but it, it is funny to think about. Like for for someone like me who could get in my own way and be in my own head and introverted and no self confidence when it came to dating, really for my whole life. Mm-hmm. It took that of like the shared art collective that you self build on a public access TV station. That's that's old school. Yeah. And then you're in a world where it's like the the apps have made it so easy that actual sexual gratification can become a sort of gamified algorithm driven exercise that feels soulless. Absolutely, yeah. There's got to be some yeah. middle ground where we can all land. And there are people, I bet there's still people who like go to the bagel store and then the person in front of them online becomes their spouse down the line. There's still people where that happens. Right. But, it still happens. Yeah. But yeah. But I don't the, know to who, but not me. The gamification and the algorithm algorithmizing mm-hmm. of of so many areas of life, I have to imagine it is a weird thing to think about the fact that, you know, and there's people who, there are people who meet and get married on Grinder. There are people who meet for hookups on Tinder yeah. and then they wind up together forever. Like there's stories that defy all of it. But yeah. It is very, very strange mm-hmm. to think that we're now living in an era where sex, which theoretically is one of the most intimate things you can share with someone else that should create mm-hmm. closeness can be yeah. packaged in a way where it actually fosters nothing but more loneliness. And I'm certain you're not the yeah. only person running into that relationship no. with modern dating and yeah. modern apps and modern sex and how they cross over. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I had a, not my current therapist, but the therapist I've seen before had a lot of, gay male clients, either my age or a bit older. And he would say like, all of us were complaining about the same thing, which was this like lack of real intimacy and whatever. And he's like, all of you want the same thing. How is this not happening? It's a small sample size still. Um, and I was like, I don't know, like where we're not connecting or we're all pretending to be something we're not online, maybe, which also happens. I know I'm guilty of that sometimes, of you know, pretending to be cooler and less affected than I am. And I don't know, you kind of put on a persona sometimes. Um, but yeah, I think you are right. The reminder that there are other people out there that are feeling this way is important, but it still can feel so isolated even even when you know that. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And and to be clear too, there's a phrase that's being used more and more lately, which is the loneliness epidemic. Yeah. So I think there is something important to note that while everyone's individual life experiences highlights the path they walk into this loneliness. I'm Mm -hmm. a married guy and I feel immense loneliness all the time Yeah, in my life as a dad in the suburbs, married to a woman, you feel it as a young Uh single gay man. There's people who work in offices where there's hundreds of other people around them and they feel lonely from the second they clock in till the second they clock out. There's, it is yeah. everywhere right now, and and I have a. I think there are very very smart people studying it and trying to get to the bottom of it. But when we have some mm-hmm. distance from this point in human history, I think we're all going to turn around. And just like your shrink once said, we're all going to go. Everyone felt defined by their loneliness, and none of us realized yeah. that every other person we were encountering felt it too. And it's so easy yeah. to assume that the individual path we walk is what 
leads us there. Oh, I'm a former artist who moved to the suburbs. Of course I'm lonely. I'm, I used to be around people who were like me when I lived in the city around other artists. And now I'm a suburban dad. I'm not around my tribe anymore. It's, it's your version Mm -hmm. of it, right? I'm, I'm on these apps. It's so easy to find sex, but sometimes that only highlights how hard it is to find love. Those are two very different paths to walk to then realize, well, at the end of it, what we're both pointing to is this sort of loneliness that hurts, this loneliness that has a real ache to it. And Mm -hmm. to realize that everyone's individual life path is so often walking them into abject loneliness right now is really distressing because by definition, loneliness is a hard thing to feel like you can team up and feel unified in. It's hard to find camaraderie around loneliness. Let's pause right there. Bit of a bummer, but a lot of truth to it. And I bet a lot of people nodding their head in solidarity. It is hard to find camaraderie around loneliness, but we're all feeling it right now. We've got to talk more about it. We've got to get to the bottom of it, and we've got to solve it. We all have to. It's sneaking up on us more than we know. Anyway, we've broken the momentum. That's a good time to get some of our ads out of the way. Please listen to the ads. Support our sponsors. Helps the show when you do. We'll be right back. This episode of Beautiful Anonymous is brought to you by IQ Bar. I'm so happy to tell you about IQ Bar and the different products they're out there making and the level of quality that they are reaching. I love their products. They taste good, first of all. They're a quick grab and go, which as a young father is something I need in my life quite often. And then on top of it, they're doing things the right way. These are plant protein bars. They're quick. They're diet-friendly. It's a brain-boosting breakfast. On top of that, they have IQ Mix. You can rehydrate super quickly. You can do that right in the morning. You can do it after workouts. They make it simple. Or if you're a coffee drinker, you're going to want to know more about IQ Joe, which will help you sustain the energy you need to focus all day long. I am somebody who would often be flying around looking for a, a breakfast that could be quick. And when you're in that mindset, what do you wind up doing? You wind up eating something that's wildly unhealthy. Not anymore. IQ Bar is there. I know that it's something I love. You can start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, their hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. You can get seven IQ Bar flavors, four IQ Mix flavors, and four IQ Joe flavors. And today... Listeners of Beautiful Anonymous get an exclusive offer. You're going to get 20% off. And on top of that, free shipping. That's a deal. That is a company with confidence right there. And it's super easy to get. You just text the word beautiful to 64,000. You just text the number 64,000. Send them the word beautiful, and they'll get all that info back to you on how to make that great deal happen. Brain nutrition, body nutrition, they've got you covered plant protein bars that are packed with high quality ingredients, keeping you physically and mentally fit. We're talking vegan, gluten-free, low in sugar, low in carbs, still with great flavors. Chocolate sea salt, peanut butter chip, wild blueberry, these flavors that you love, absolutely delicious, but delivered to you in a way that's healthy and good for you on top of tasting great. IQ Bar makes the number one brain and body nutrition bar, hydration mix, and instant coffee in the U.S., over 10,000 five-star reviews and counting. 
Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix Sticks, and four IQ Joe Sticks. And now, our podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products, plus you get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text BEAUTIFUL to 64000. Get your discount. Text BEAUTIFUL to 64000. That's BEAUTIFUL to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Thanks to all of our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call. To realize that everyone's individual life path is so often walking them into abject loneliness right now is really distressing because by definition, loneliness is a hard thing to feel like you can team up and feel unified in. It's hard to find camaraderie around loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely, I mean, I agree with everything you just said. It's a little, uh, it's, and you, we don't talk, we don't talk about it. Like in the way that you just articulated, like we don't talk about it, especially like everybody, everybody, but also I like, I mean, there's men don't talk about their feelings a lot anyway, traditionally, but, um, yeah, we're all like feeling very deeply and not, Sharing it or I, I don't know. I try to be open with my friends and people that I love about how I'm feeling. Um, but it can be hard when you also have like responsibilities to be a certain type of person and leadership. And um, in, in your case, if you're a partner or a father or whatever, you know, like it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I think we're all struggling and yet there's still like stigma around sharing mental health things um it's obviously gotten better for sure but it still feels like it's not great yeah yeah it's distressing are there things that you have in your life because i often find this with myself are there things that feel like the breath of fresh air even silly things in your life are there, are there things where you go, you know, it's easy to dwell on these feelings, but also, have you been watching the WWE? Like, the Cody Rhodes stuff is great. Like, that makes me feel happy. <laughs> that makes me feel happy to catch up on that. Yeah. And it is a break from the loneliness. And then I could text my brother and be like, did you see the Cody Rhodes stuff? And then in the course of that, we can quietly be like, also, how are you? And then one of us will be like, oh, right. okay. Yeah. We're like, oh, actually, I wanted to talk about it. Can I jump on the phone? Do you have the small things that help break up the the the, the storm clouds? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I have a couple of things. I mean, right now I'm like, I'm like super obsessed with, um, award season and like Oscars prognostics and stuff. So I like try to see as many films as possible and, and do a lot of like predicting and stuff. Um, which has been really fun and nerdy for me. I have like a little spreadsheet of my own to keep track of who wins what and, and stuff like that. Um, so this is like kind of my favorite the last couple of months have been a great time of year, uh, to just go to the movies all the time. And I go to movies alone, which is fine. I actually don't find that lonely because I've been doing it since I was like 16, like ever since I got my license. Um, so I don't mind doing that. Um, and that keeps my brain busy. Um, it's like, I don't care about sports really. So I like, I can always say it's like my version of fantasy football. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what are the, what are the 
storylines of award season currently? What are the things? What are the things as a as a? And I don't want to boil this down to our our sexuality um, because that's <laughs> reductive. But I will just say, as a forty three year old man living in the suburbs, married to a woman. What are the hot topics that I'm missing as part of award season? Because I know there's some. I know there's some. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so there's so many. I mean, I think like the obviously like the Barbie Oppenheimer of it all has been dominating the cultural conversation since like last summer. Um, but there's like smaller, more interesting ones of like the. I mean, I will not bore anyone with all of the details, but like the idea that. France submitted the Taste of Things instead of Anatomy of a Fall, but then Anatomy of a Fall got nominated for Best Picture and Taste of Things didn't get nominated for Best International Film. Um, it's a whole sort of like little scandal in itself. And then the Best Actress race is so interesting between Louis Gladstone, Emma Stone, and Sandra Huller. Um, it's just been fascinating. It's also just been like a really great year for movies, um, particularly ones that like I love selfishly. Um, I saw all, t- I just saw the 10th best picture nominee or well, not the 10th, but like my 10th. So I've seen all 10. Um, so I actually haven't done that before, even though I love this stuff. There's usually one or two. I just like skip out on. Cause I just like, can't sit through three hours of avatar two, <laughs> um, which like, I'm sure I missed out something great, but I couldn't do it um, last year, but this year I saw all 10, which feels like a nice accomplishment for myself as nobody else. I am so jealous. I used to see so many movies and it's one of the first yeah. things that goes out the door when you have a kid because you got to get, the, Oh, the, I can't imagine. Yeah. You got to get a yeah. babysitter to do anything. Yeah. So you see a movie that's going to be realistically what drive there, get your snacks, preview park, the previews, the movie itself, get home. This is what three or four hours minimum talking about yep. probably adding $80 minimum to your night yeah. and babysitter fees, let alone it's if you want to get yeah. dinner. It's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, I can see a movie that might or might not be good. Although that being mm-hmm. said, I, yeah, I, to bring it back to yeah. wrestling, I was a little surprised that Iron Claw got no real traction, but I understand that's an A24 uh, thing that they only really push one, one of their movies a year. Yeah. It was a sort of like drop ball on their part. Cause I think Zach Efron really could have, Really could have hit at the end for Best Actor and um, He was fucking great in that movie. It was that movie. I think that actually, that was the movie I like cried out the most this year. It's um, such a sad story. There was story. something about, it, I mean, it's such a sad story. It's insane. It feels unreal, but it is absolutely true, which is crazy. Yeah. If you are not familiar, it's the story of this family of wrestlers that suffered just a lot of tragedy. Some of it random, some of it self-inflicted in a very literal way. And it's a brutal story. And I will tell you, we were actually staying with my parents and Cal went to sleep and Hallie was like, we could see a movie. And I was like, oh, I've been wanting to see Iron Claw. It's about wrestling. And she was like, I heard it has Oscar buzz. And we got like maybe like half an hour from the end and Hallie just quietly leaned over and was like, why the fuck would you take me to this movie when we never get any dates? And I was like, yeah, I... I knew enough about this that I should have flagged it. I should have flagged yeah. this for sure. Not an <laughs> ideal date night when you don't really ever get date nights. Yeah, probably not. But like also such like a cathartic, emotional, interesting story to be told. And I think done in a very, very respectful way. Um, 
and had a really had a lot of like good things to say about like <clears throat> masculinity and brotherhood and, and and bonds between between males and, and things that we just don't see in films a lot um and of course the tragedy of it all but um i i really loved that it feels weird to say i loved that movie because it was so so sad and so upsetting, but um, I did love that movie. I think about it a lot, actually, and I wish it had gotten some Oscar attention. But I hope people still saw it. I think they did. I think it did pretty well, money wise. Now, I'm just going to put it out here, and when I tread into stereotypes, call me out uh-huh. big time. But I will say, I will. Ready? I will say, I lived in New uh-huh. York a long time. My wife is a big Oscar buff, and we used to go to Oscar parties in Brooklyn and some of them would uh-huh. be uh, at at wine bars where it would be I'm not trying to tread in stereotypes here but I would say it would be uh-huh. 85 to 90% gay men drinking red wine treating the Oscars <laughs> like I treat March Madness yeah. so in thinking uh-huh. of loneliness just the level of knowledge you just dropped off the top of your head about so much, yeah. I have to imagine that there are places where you could quell your loneliness and find other movie buffs who are living for for the the swirling storylines around Oscar season in person. Has to be, has to be a possibility, right? But I don't want to just yeah, say it is a possibility. Yeah, I know I'm boiling this down to you can find other gay men <laughs> who love the Oscars, but you can, yeah. right? I yes. In theory, yes. I will say that some of the, the gay men I'm friends with like couldn't care less. So it is obviously not everybody. I also think like it depends on where you live. I will say, yeah, obviously, yeah. if you're you know Brooklyn. in New York City and can go to Brooklyn, things like you got yeah. a bunch of people who are into that shit. Turns out living uh, in Brooklyn so gives you access. Turns out yeah. <laughs> living in Brooklyn gives you access to a thriving and accepted out of the closet gay community that will happily drink red wine in public and shout at the screen at an Oscar party in a way that's so fun. (laughs) Who knew? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I would, that sounds like a great environment. I just, unfortunately don't have access to something like that, but I think you're right. Um, That's like my dream. Like my dream is to find a man who's like, at least like a little bit interested in this as much as I am. I don't need them to be like a fanatic like I am, but um, some interest would be great because I spent a lot of time at the movies, which I was going to say earlier, like that is a great thing about being single. So you can kind of do like whatever the fuck you want to, whenever you want to, you know? Um, it's like yeah. if I want to go watch a three and a half hour Martin Scorsese film, I can, I don't have anyone to worry about but myself. So that's kind of cool. I do I'll like s- that. I do like my independence. I will also say Andrea typed this in our chat and I couldn't agree more. And I, I, Every once in a while when I'm on the road, I take the chance to do it. Andrea typed the words, not enough people know how good it is to go to the movies alone. And there is some truth to that. I was Absolutely. People will find it sad, but I don't think it is. Oh, it's the best. It's kind of in some ways the best way to do it. I was out in California for work once and I was staying in a hotel where I realized that there was a movie theater across the highway from me and I played a game of real life Frogger and ran across that highway and <laughs> went and watched the, uh, second, uh, animated, uh, is it across the spider verse? The first one was into the spider verse. The, the really great yeah. animated yeah. Spider-Man movies. Uh-huh. I went and watched yeah. the second one by myself 
ate all the snacks I wanted, kicked my feet up, didn't worry mm-hmm. about anyone else or anything else, and it was lovely. And I risked death. That's lovely, yeah. I ran across the highway <laughs> twice. I did it in the dark to get back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. Worth it. <laughs> Worth it. Worth it. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to. Do it for yourself. It's good to do stuff for yourself. Especially when you don't, like, you can always. I can sort of always, which then it doesn't seem as special. But when it's special, it's special. Yeah. Yeah. I love that we're, uh, to be clear, this will not be coming out on Valentine's Day, but you and I are taping an episode about romantic loneliness on Valentine's Day, and there's something very special about that to me. And I thank you for being so open and vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, it was on my mind, so. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. I am sure. And now we've just strangely hit a wall. We just hit a hell of a wall right there. Well, it's not, I mean, I think, I think, I mean, we're not best friends yet, but I think, like, a little bit of silence between two close people is okay. Yeah, right. A comfortable Maybe silence podcast, is a beautiful thing. Yeah. I was well, I was thinking about something. It, it's a little bit it's gonna bring the mood down, but um I don't mind going there, I guess. Um bring the another mood part of like all of this. Bring the mood down Sorry, compared to the idea of being alone on Valentine's Day? <laughs> we no, we were like laughing about the movies. Like that was kind of fun. I enjoyed that part. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um okay. Yeah, bringing the mood down from that. Um, another aspect of of my personal experience with like loneliness and romance is, um, <clears throat> for many years, like off and on as a young person, I was uh, actually assaulted. Um, so I grew up with a very skewed um, view of sex and sexuality, um, and I think it's easy. It can be easy to pretend like that doesn't affect me still at my age, but um, whew, I think it does. Um, and that's why I've been in therapy for a very long time, trying to work through those things. Um, even if they don't affect me like viscerally every day, it's all interwoven in my shit. Um, so if you're trying to get a complete picture of why I am the way I am when it comes to loneliness and relationships, I, it, it feels dishonest to not disclose that part because it's there whether I want it to be or not. And I don't want it to be, but it's there. Well, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. First of all. And second of all, I'll say, you know, you at one point said something along the lines of at my age, you'd think I could have sorted it out, but I'll tell you one of the, one of the things you learn as you get older is that when you are younger than 30, you think you're supposed to have everything sorted out by 30. That becomes this benchmark. But when you're Mm -hmm. older than 30, you realize no one, no one sorts out everything by 30 and no one would ever expect you to. It's this weird artificial (laughs) line that we all put in our minds internally. So no one would expect you to have that sorted out maybe ever completely let alone while you're still in your twenties and that's really brutal and and awful. And I'm so sorry. 
Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, uh, yeah, I think, I think you nailed it with the like, never, I don't think it'll ever, it'll never make sense and it'll never be okay. Um, it'll be easier to process and deal with as time goes on, the further I am away from it. And it has, thank God for me, I can only speak from my experience, but, um, yeah, I feel it happened when I was so young. I feel robbed of so many things, um, that I'll never get to have because they were taken. Um, yeah. Horrible. Horrible. I'll also say something that's super obvious. And, you know, you mentioned that you've seen a therapist who I'm sure has said many versions of this to you as well. Yeah. I would say in general, we've got to learn how to take it easy on ourselves and be forgiving. Yeah. And in particular, as a survivor of abuse, I think it's, mm. it's fair to say that while emotionally you might get in these moments of why am I lonely? Why, why is everyone else setting like down? And then it has this echo in your head of why can't I get past this? I would say particularly in situations like that. And in your case, I do hope you, even when you're feeling those emotions that, that you can remind yourself to cut yourself a lot of slack and, and understanding because it's so much yeah. easier said than done, but it is something that I, I think is worth hearing. Yeah. I appreciate that. I don't, I'm lucky that I don't want lucky is a weird word, but I don't think about it every day and I'm not haunted by it in the way that some people unfortunately are. Um, so I don't ever forget it, but you know, I don't, I don't make the connections and parallels all the time. Um, but when I do, it's very like enlightening and, um, explains so much in my brain. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's obviously so freaking complicated, but, um, yeah, there's that part. And I think it also has made me like, obviously like super distrusting of people. That's something that we haven't talked about. It's just like the trust in intimacy with another person. Um, of course I have those reservations now. Um, that doesn't help either. Right. Um, and when you tie that into what we were talking about before, where the starting point of a lot of app based dating is let's figure out our sexual compatibility on day one, before we right. even really connect and have a conversation for some people, yeah. that's probably a lot of fun and might work. But for anyone who, yeah. anyone who, Anyone who has to, as you said, trust needs to develop if it's ever going to be real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's many people who have mental checklists in their head of, of how to get to a place of trust that don't fit into the modern fast paced. Let's, let's, let's talk sex first type of dating that there's, yeah. especially mm -hmm. if sex is something that has been um, weaponized or or where boundaries have been violated, it's, it's, that's an impossible uphill climb. So that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. It's also like in, in the queer community in particular, there's like these different, 
I hate this like term, but like tribes or different types of people that you are put into boxes of like, you look like a, you're a bear or an otter or these the twink or these terrible to me, terrible terms. Um, so sort of immediately upon looking at me, someone can put me in a box and fetishize me for certain thing. And that's very triggering because I was used for sex before and now this person is viewing me as a sexual, uh, they're justifying me, right? Which is like part of the thing that happens sometimes. Um, and I hate that because it's connected to like, you know, what I've been through um, in a way that I don't think, you know, someone who hasn't been through that might realize, but like it is sort of a direct line. To me, there isn't much of a difference. I mean, of course, ideally, obviously in these situations, it's consensual, but there's still this degree of like, Someone sees me, they want something from me, they want me to be a certain thing, they want to use me for a certain thing, and then that's it. Um, and that's really tough um, a lot of the time, because that's like not what I want, but that is how a lot of this operates with people. Right, right. Be that avatar first, put on a sexual performance first, or a sexualized exactly. performance first, and then we'll mm-hmm. get to know each other. But for you to say if that, if that, sometimes it's just right. the performance and then it ends. Right. Yeah. At, at best, we'll click and say, actually, let's pursue right. this. And sometimes people, I would yeah. imagine, being very upfront of, I'm only in it for tonight and we might not even speak again. And I'll be honest about it. like every yeah. level of this in mm. action. But mm. for someone who has lived your life, this idea of, I will be an avatar who makes the courtship experience one that's performative and where sex is at the sex is kind of the tip of the spear. I can imagine the Uh vast discomfort, if not outright feeling totally unsafe with that setup. And that's a really shitty part of 2024. And it's, it's a really shitty part of being taken advantage of. And uh, just the fact that just the fact that we can even sit here and talk about this as strangers, I think, speaks very highly to uh, to your strength in terms of it. But that strength is required and demanded, you know, for Uh us to have started the call talking about finding intimacy, finding love, talking on Valentine's Day when everybody's being so forthright about it and performative about it and taking their victory laps about it. It's really brutal. Can be. And it is. Um, and it has been, and it probably will be again, but I'm stronger than I was and hopefully will continue to be, especially when it comes to what happened. Um, I, uh, also, I write, I write plays, and I, I've been trying for a long time to like write about this in particular, and I'm sort of maybe on the way to doing that um, for the first time, which is something. I don't. It's not like I don't think it's necessarily going to like solve the problem or make it go away. Obviously, but um, it's like it's like my story, you know it was forced upon me, but it's still my story. And, um, I don't know. It feels important to share in some way. Um, 
Yeah, I also like particularly like there I don't see a lot of like men talking about their experiences like this. Um which sort of made it a little bit more difficult for me. I'm only speaking for me, obviously, but made it more difficult for me to sort of speak up about my experience because it was like, oh, it doesn't happen to guys. Um, obviously, course. does. Of course, it does, but I just didn't feel like it did. Um, especially, you know, 25 years ago or whatever when it was happening to me. So, and that presumed silence, that presumed silence is part of what gets manipulated by abusers. This idea of oh, guys, right. guys don't yeah. talk about this. That's that's part of the strategy and part of the yeah ability to hide it. Yeah, there's also this idea of like oh, well, like you know, you're a guy. Like you just like you wanted to have sex, right? And it's like that's not obviously the truth all the time. Um, and that's difficult as well. So I don't know. I just I feel like sharing some of my shit maybe will. I don't know if it'll help anybody else, but at least like knowing that it's not alone. It does happen. It's it's a thing. Um, I can't make it go away from my story and I know I don't have to talk about it obviously, but um, I, as a storyteller, as an artist, as someone who like conveys these things, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like I want to in some way. So um, that's why I, I feel like talking about it, writing about it, whatever is, also helpful to me. I love that. I love that. And I mean, yeah. if there's one thing I can speak to with experience, it's the idea of the idea of taking the things that gave you scars when you were young and then using your artistic abilities to try to connect with other people in regards to them yeah. is very difficult, but also so gratifying. And as far as yeah. as far as tamping down on the loneliness, I can speak to experience that it has done that for me. As far as some of the stuff I've mm-hmm. put out there, um, so yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear that you're feeling motivated to use some artistry to try to get that message out there to see if it helps you and to see if it helps other people along the way. I think that's a really incredible thing. Thank you. I I hope so, and it's. I'm here on earth to for a time and I want to use it in some way. So that's, you know, the little way I'm using it um, and processing my own shit at the same time. I want to pause right there. I'm here on earth for a short time and I want to do something with it is maybe the most succinctly boiled down description of what this show is in the entire show's history. Thank you for that caller. We've got some ads. We'll be right back. I am going to tell you about Vessi Footwear. And it's going to be hard for me to stay on script here. They, they sent some talking points, but I will tell you, it's going to be hard because I'm going to start rambling from the heart. I wear my Vessis every single day. And I have been since they arrived. And I have been absolutely blown away by these waterproof shoes that are great for daily use that are also somehow, without exaggeration, the most comfortable footwear I've ever worn in my life. And I'll tell you, a lot of you know that I travel a lot. And when I'm waking up early so I can get to the airport and then I'm going to the long-term parking lot and it's cold and I'm running over to the shuttle bus so I can make it to the terminal, 
I need comfortable footwear. I got to get on that plane and I need to know that I can fall back asleep and my feet aren't going to be aching. And I wear my Vessies all the time. I have now worn them in multiple countries all over the place. I love them. Imagine starting this new year with footwear that's as fashionable as it is functional. Vessi has an array of stylish, weather-ready options. We're talking about the Weekender, the Everyday Classic, the Stormburst, and of course, the Chelsea. Embrace the elements, embrace all-day comfort, and embrace an eco-conscious choice, by the way. Vessis are eco-conscious. They have a strong commitment to sustainability. This means that not only do they look good, but they're good for the planet. Their manufacturing process is designed to reduce water use. They avoid harmful chemicals. You are not just making a stylish choice here, but a responsible one too. And I will tell you, when they sponsored the show, my wife Hallie flipped out because she is a huge fan of them. And that's from the environmental perspective, most of all. She does her research on every purchase she makes. She loves Vessies for that exact reason. Ready to step into the new year with style and confidence? Vessies got you covered. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, Or if you're like me and you travel a lot and you need the perfect shoe for running through an airport terminal or taking a shuttle bus when you need your feet feeling good, Vessi's got your back. Find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com slash beautiful to get 15% off your first order. Thanks again to all of our advertisers who allow this show to exist. Now let's finish off the phone call. I'm here on Earth to for a time, and I want to use it in some way. So that's you know the little way I'm using it um, and processing my own shit at the same time. Can I ask you a question? That it, it, I mean, any question about this might be a tough one. So it's yeah. a caveat that doesn't need to be added. But one thing I'm interested in, as I talk to you, is this: is that in the world of sort of pop culture and especially the internet, when people bring up the idea of, of abusers of children, especially sexual mm-hmm. abuse, there's this idea of, well, I hope they get killed in prison or you know, mm-hmm. all those people should just die. And I don't believe in the Beth death penalty unless it's a pedophile. And in that case, string them up in the town square. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you see that as well. And as I'm talking to you, I realize I have no idea if that is something that, and you have been very clear over and over again about how you speak for yourself, but I sit there and I have often wondered, what does that really do for the victims? Does it make them feel protected? Does it make them feel like society looks out for them? Or is it just a thing to post on the internet that doesn't affect real change and and does more harm than good i have no idea but i've often wondered about it yeah i mean i think that's a really fair thing to wonder and i've thought obviously about where my person is and and what they're up to um my situation is a little bit different because it was someone closer to my age um so it just adds more complications to it but I think the biggest thing would be the hope that they just don't repeat it um, to anyone else, which I think is is why there's like a desire or craving for some justice um, in that regard um, is probably the most important thing. Um, but 
I don't, it like, the very sad truth is like nothing will make it go away from your experience. Right. So like, even if there was some retribution, um, I don't know. I'm not sure what it would do. I do like, I do think about, well, let me just say that like two years ago, the person uh, like added me on Facebook. Um, I was like, what the, like, what the fuck? You know? Um, Jeez. And I, like, I blocked him, um, obviously. Maybe not obviously, but I blocked him. And, uh, yeah, so then it's like, do you even know what you did? And if you did, why are you doing this? And then you just have this idea of, like, what would you say to that person? And I know that sometimes an exercise a therapist might give someone is, you know, write a letter to so-and-so. And, um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this particular train of thought. But, um yeah, I guess my, my, my point is, like, no matter what, even if we had connected, even if something happened to that person, like, it doesn't change what I've been through and never will. Um, but the idea of, of stopping them from doing it to someone else, I think, is, is the key, particularly if they're of a certain age and of a certain experience. Like, I think that that's obviously really, or in a position of power, obviously, you know, someone who makes decisions and can use their influence over someone else in that way. Um, then having them sort of suffer for lack of a different word, um, is even more important. I think. That's a really smart and thoughtful answer. Now, when, when you get that Facebook request, is this a person who you've confronted at all? Is it, do you get, you mentioned, you are brought up with the thought of, do you even understand what you did? Do you feel like it is some effort uh-huh. at, well, if I accept this, I'll be granting them forgiveness that they're seeking somehow. That's, that's an aggressive move. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I mean, so the situation between me and this person just like fizzled out um, after a couple of years and they, they moved. So we just sort of stopped contacting each other. Um, so no, I never had a confrontation with them and it took me like many years to really name what had happened to me given the circumstance. Um, which is why, like, I don't know if the person realizes on their end, like exactly what has happened. Um, but I don't know what he wanted from that. Um, and I certainly wasn't going to engage with it, even though it was, it wasn't tempting. It was just like, it was, it was tempting to like, know what he was up to, I guess. Um, cause yeah, I mean, you're fucking human. Of course you kind of secretly hope he's like fucking failing miserably. Right. Like that's sort of the hope. Um, yeah, it was jolting to say the least, you know, uh, to see that name and that photo after God, I don't know, like, 10, 12 years of, of no contact or whatever. Um, more than that, like 15 years, 15 years, probably. Yeah. Wow. Wow. 
This took some turns I never expected, but I feel really grateful that you trusted me with it. Thank you for listening. Of course. Of course. If any, if any call would ever make me fall firmly on the side of fuck Valentine's Day, I got to say it's this one. <laughs> I agree with you. It's like, yeah, that was just kind of made up to sell greeting cards and, and flowers. And while that's nice, I could theoretically be doing this any other day of the year. And that by codifying it, there's all sorts of people struggling with their pasts and struggling with pain who don't want to fucking think about it. Yeah, this yep. call is a good endorsement for that. <laughs> I'm I'm happy to be the the leading charge on that. I think even I'll, I make a vow to myself that in one day when I am in a very loving relationship, you won't see me posting on any social media about it on Valentine's day and keep that shit to myself and my partner. I love that. I love that. (laughs) I want to, this is a strange turn to take, but we did have that stretch where we were just chatting about movies and chatting about award seasons. And there's a part yeah. of me that feels like I want to return to that as we've now dived okay. into some stuff that's really hard. I have a question that I have a feeling you might get into if mm-hmm. I ask it. And I want to, I like, okay. I like that back and forth Yeah. rather than just dwell, dwell on the sensational part as the other shows mm-hmm. like to do. No, we are humans here. and We'll connect. This <laughs> I'm wondering. So, you know, there's legendarily the kind of, and and I think you'll know better than I the exact time frame. But there's a sec, there's a chunk of the year where it's understood that there's some post Oscars burnout. Nobody's really paying attention to the movies, and they the studios kind of dump all the stinkers all at once, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there any movies that have been kind of put out there as in that stretch of these are this is these are being put out right is it like January February like you get the Oscar yeah, stuff out I for consideration like, in November December October right and then the yeah. stuff are there any stinkers that you look at where you're like that got a raw deal that one was that one was kind of cast off as a stinker but I'll go to bat for it well, I think like some movies, unfortunately, just kind of get like dumped on the schedule in like March and April, like right post the Oscars um, that are not worthy of that. I mean, the one like example I can think of from last year um, is a movie called You Hurt My Feelings with um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus that came out. I don't know when. I think it premiered at Sundance and then maybe it came out, it came out in the springtime and it's like such a gem of a movie about a novelist um who overhears her husband uh critiquing uh, saying that her new book is bad and that's it that's like the plot is just like she sort of spirals when she finds out her biggest supporter is also like critical of her work um and it was so good and like like no one saw it um it was just sort of got like dumped in the schedule um unfairly so yeah i think every once in a while like there are really great movies who just like for whatever reason get like the shit end of the stick on a release date. Um, and then there are other movies like um, that come out during this time period that are actually like not great. Um, I haven't seen Madam Web yet, but it's just getting absolutely destroyed by critics right now. Um, so I think there's some truth to that. Um, 
yeah, there's just so much to see. So I think some stuff gets lost during this period, um, particularly like early in the spring when I also just think there's just like fatigue from movie watching um, if you're into this. So you might like take a couple months off before like Oscar stuff starts again. But I will say it's also like changing a little bit because it used to be like, unless your movie came out in like October, November, December, like you were not getting Oscar attention. But Everything Everywhere All at Once came out in January the year it won an Oscar. So like that sort of blew that theory out of the water. Um, so things are changing a little bit, but it's still, I think you're still kind of right that there's fatigue and just sort of being dumped. Dumpuary, I think is the term someone coined recently of just all the shit films coming out in February. Uh, maybe not fair, but there's a little truth to it. I loved, I had a feeling that you would have at least one movie you could instantly go to and be like, I root for the underdogs <laughs> in life in this movie. God damn it. More yeah. people should have seen it. I love, no, I love that you had love that, that answer. Movie. That fits your, per, that fits, yeah. that fits everything I've learned about you. <laughs> Thank you. We've got about three minutes left and I'm wondering, I'm wondering how you'd like to use those three minutes. Um, well, I, I mean, when I woke up this morning, I knew that today was going to be hard. Me and my like other single buddy, like messaged each other in the morning being like, love you, dude. Um, just knowing that today was going to be hard, but I didn't think my day would include this. So this was like a really great way to process and emote and share and, um, not feel so alone. So Thank you for the space and time. Um, it was an excellent way to spend my <laughs> lunch break at work. Um, I I appreciate it. I love that you're just going to go back to work now, having had this heart-to-heart talk, this heart-to-heart chat. I mean, I'll, I don't know how much work's going to get done, but uh, I'll be back. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be clicking on some files and stuff. Um, it certainly gave me a lot to think about in a good way, I think. <laughs> Can I ask what you do only because in my head I'm laughing? Like, what if you turn around and you're like, oh, I make, uh, I make balloon animals. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I work in wealth management. Um, so just some boring finance stuff. Wealth um, management. Very, just lots of excels. Yeah. Get to see how these mm-hmm. rich people move their money around. They move it around a lot. I move it around a lot. Um, and I help move it. Never thought I'd be here, but my, uh, my day job that helps support my artistry. So I'm not too mad about it. I love that. And, and have you had any plays produced or do you submit them for review from the sort of arts organizations that help young playwrights? Like, where are we at with it as far as hobby versus going for it? Yeah. I mean, try to go for it. I self-produced some plays. Um, cool. I also, you know, direct. So I've had some of that. I've directed my own work. Um, I submit my plays to festivals and competitions, and I get rejected all the time, as most playwrights do. I still do it. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's ever going to pay all my bills, but I, I do try to be as professional as possible with it when I can. Um, I've been doing it for a while now, so I, hopefully, I'm getting better and better as I keep doing it. That's awesome. I mean, you're you're going for it in a way that's has intent and potential for momentum more than most artists ever get to. So kudos to you on that. 
Thank you. I try. I'm trying not to let it slip. Last year, I kind of went away from writing, but this year, taking it back, I'm not going to let it sit forever. So hopefully I follow through with that. Oh, it would be such a joy someday to go see one of your plays. Please let me know <laughs> when there's one that I can buy a ticket for. Sit in the audience. I'll run across a highway. To, uh, it, make it in a theater <laughs> where there's a hotel on one side. And yeah. the theater's on the other side of the highway, and I can sprint across the highway, highway yeah. just like I hmm. did for that animated Spider-Man movie, which was... Those animated <laughs> Spider-Man movies, by the way, way better than they have any right to be. Those movies are great. Way better. Yeah, absolutely. I would be happy to have my plays be in the same conversation as that. So, like, absolutely love that idea. kind of those two, and the, and the second one with Tobey Maguire, I think, are the are the head of the class when it comes to Spider-Man movies. And I love Tom Holland, but another conversation yeah no i think everyone would agree with you yeah it's pretty universally acclaimed um for sure caller this one had twists and turns i want to see one of those (laughs) plays someday i'm glad that we really got to the bottom of valentine's day and thank you for trusting me with some of the more difficult things to share um we're gonna go ahead and say goodbye to everybody who listens for free on tuesdays and then if you're down to hang out we can keep it going with a little follow-up conversation for the people who have signed up at beautifulanonymous.com. Sounds good. Caller, so sincerely thank you. Thank you for trusting me with the difficult parts. Thank you for making me think and laugh with the lighter parts. And thank you for reminding me that Valentine's Day is not as simple as we like to pretend it is. Thank you for calling in. Thank you to our producer, Andrea Quinn. Thank you to Shell Shag for the theme song of our show. And if you want to know more about me, including my upcoming dates, including that Brooklyn show, March 1st, Laughing Together, Littlefield in Brooklyn, chrisgeth.com for info and tickets. As always, we have a voicemail line. It's at 973-306-4676. If you feel like you have a story that needs to be on the show, especially if you feel like your voice is not represented on the show, an open-door policy, we want to hear from you. That's 973-306-4676. And then, of course, we are on Instagram now at BeautifulAnonymousPod. This week on Beautiful Anonymous Plus, here's some of what you'll get from the five questions. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, what would you eat for your last meal? Oh, uh, I guess it would have to just be like, I don't know. I feel like there's two ends of the spectrum, either like some like insane, like, Michelin star restaurant food that I've never even had before just to say I did it or just like classic traditional like chicken parm I think would be and like more realistically probably just that like just the thing that I've loved since I was a kid um I do remember being asked this question when I was like in middle school or high school or something you're sort of like I think death row meal um and I used to always talk about like the pan- like green tea from Panera, which is kind of <laughs> stupid. Um, but like that was like always part of the meal. Like when I answered that question as a younger person, I don't think I need that anymore. But yeah, that was something I like loved when I was younger. I don't know why that popped into my head, but the part green of it. tea is the green tea from Panera particularly notable in any way. 
Not really, man. Like, it's just like, it's kind of like sweet. It's like kind of more like a juice. Um, I guess because it's just, I didn't have it a lot when I was younger and I wanted it more. And now that I'm an adult and can have it whenever, it doesn't really do it for me anymore. Don't forget to sign up for Beautiful Anonymous Plus at beautifulanonymous.com.